Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. And I think we just jump right into it because last week's discussion on broodmares, you led into this, and and I think it's going to be a, a fun podcast. So one that we should probably just get get the hit the ground running like these foals, right? <laughs> that we're going to talk about today. So like leaping around, poor body control. I might go off on a couple of tangents. I think it sounds perfect. I know it. Oh, anytime I talk about babies and. I just so fascinated when foals hit the ground, how quickly they get up, how quickly they nurse. They're ready to run with the herd within a few hours. It is just my favorite time of year when you start seeing those babies come. And, you know, this obviously babies start hitting the ground as early as January. But here we are in spring when most of the babies are on the ground. And I, I just I would like to talk about like that foal grows so much in this first year. I mean, in the first couple years, but this first year particularly. So can we talk a little bit about what is going on physiologically? What is changing? How do we support them nutritionally? I guess in the beginning, they're getting all their nutrition from mom. So what are they getting specifically from the mare's milk? And then how does that change over their first year? So, you know, when they're first born, they're getting all of their nutrition from the mare's milk. It's actually not very long if you look at the average nutrient requirements of a foal and the average nutrients provided in milk, that that milk really can't provide all of that gap. But everything from the energy they need, the protein, all of the trace nutrients, like our minerals, our vitamins, all of that is coming through the mare's milk. So that's why it's so important to think about the diet of the mare, because that can dramatically impact the foal's growth, their risk of developmental orthopedic disorders. So early, early part of their life, milk is going to be all of the nutrients that they need. Most of it will come from the mare. That's the ideal, right? That you don't have to supplement that. We need to be realistic that there are a lot of situations where total or partial replacement are necessary, whether we're talking about the orphan foal or just the under milking mare. Right. So as they get those nutrients, one of the things I always, it's funny, I always talk about when I was teaching how these foals like behaviorally, they, they see mom grazing. So then they start sticking their nose in the ground and going, Ooh, what's this? And they start nibbling. They start getting interested in her food. And so they start eating these solids, but we start introducing some solids in their diet too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So they're so cute. Like one to two weeks old, they'll start being like, Oh, what's this? Can I eat it? Sometimes the answer is no. Um, But I think the important thing to remember in this process is they actually can't digest plant-based protein until they're about three months old. So while it is totally normal for them to like take a little bit of a nibble from mom's grain bucket younger than that, I do sometimes have people who run into issues with diarrhea and some other things because you have a foal who's really getting into mom's feed bucket before they hit that three months of age where their body's designed to digest that. But because before that, they're meant to be primarily consuming milk. So those milk-based proteins are what they're able to absorb. So 
I kind of talked about if you look at milk production versus nutrient requirements, it's not very long, like often into that second month that milk is really no longer doing a great job of providing all of those nutrient requirements. So what we look at doing in a lot of cases is creep feeding. And the idea is you start creep feeding them pretty young so that they're used to consuming their own feed way before they really have to be. It also keeps them from doing things like eating a whole bunch of mom's grain that they can't really digest. So we use a milk-based protein pellet. So it's made of components that they can actually digest. The one that we have is called Full Foundation. And it's meant to supplement the milk for your average mare who, as her lactation is starting to tail off, is no longer providing all of those nutrients. We can use it for the total diet of the orphan foals. So in those foals, we would start them on an actual milk replacer, so a liquid milk replacer. But we can transition them onto that creep feed really early, and they can transition over to that instead. So they eat really early and like they'll eat a little grass, they'll eat a little hay, they don't get a ton out of it. But it is important to realize that either if mom's not producing enough milk and that foal looks a little bit unthrifty, or it's a situation where they're just really interested in feed, to make sure what we're providing them is something that's good for their digestive tract. And that's not going to be your protein coming from plant-based things, which would be, you know, in our growth, in our essential K, all those are plant-based we're going to need that milk-based protein while they're really young. Right. Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I I guess I always loved explaining this. What is creep feeding? Like, why do we call it that? Because I've seen some hilarious photos. I'll let you explain it. But yeah. So, so why do we call it creep feeding? <laughs> so I guess I've never thought about the actual origin of the name, but kind of roughly it's an area that a foal can creep into that a mare cannot. So you can see some real interesting setups because a lot of times we're going to offer it free choice and those mares really, really want to go steal whatever they can. So people are pretty creative in setting up feeders that the foal can get to that the mare cannot. A lot of times, I mean, you'll see these out in the pasture and it'll just be a low fence that the foal can walk underneath that mom can't, things like that. You'll see different setups and stalls, but, um, you know, they usually adapt to it really well. I'd say the big things are offering it early before it's super necessary. So they get used to it and then keeping it fresh. So you can't forget that this is a milk-based pellet. So if it's going to get warm and damp, it's not going to stay fresh. So kind of refreshing it frequently. But, you know, your target rate of consumption, especially if it's providing a lot of the nutrients, is a pound per 100 pounds of body weight of that foal. Now, they may right. eat less if they're mostly getting milk from their mother. No, right. And, and I've seen some funny photos. I've seen mares in creep feeders that got stuck Oh, yeah. They, it's just like, I just, uh, uh, there's a will, there's a way, and they find the way sometimes. So as this foal develops, and you prefaced this last week when we were talking about this with broodmares, these developmental orthopedic disease, these DODs, if you've been around horses long enough, especially foals, you, you've seen this. You know, I've seen deformed legs, other things uh, with them. And then you alluded to a lot of times we can't see them until later in life. If you could just kind of explain what DODs are from a nutritional standpoint, because you made some really good points last week. 
Yeah. So this is probably something I care about a lot because it's a question that I get a lot is, oh my gosh, I have this young growing horse, whether it's a super young foal or, you know, a yearling that has issues. And I'm very passionate about being proactive with these because uh, it's like, if you've invested all of that money and just emotion and everything that goes into this new horse in your life, it's so hard to see them have that sort of issue. So developmental orthopedic disorders, that's really an umbrella term for multiple things that go wrong during the development. Some of them are apparent when the foal hits the ground. So those would be things like your angular limb deformities or your flexural deformities, like contracted tendons. So foals, when they first come out, I mean, they don't straighten right away, but pretty quickly those legs straighten out. But some of them you'll see don't do that. So, you know, there are some nutritional components to that sometimes. A lot of times there aren't, and there's multiple vet interventions for those foals. So this is something that obviously you'd work really closely with your vet. But those are a DOD that you would see kind of right away as the foal hits the ground. Sometimes contracted tendons are acquired later when we have super fast growth and basically the bones outgrow the tendons. That's something can happen as well. Some other ones that would be visible would be something like your fasciitis, or a lot of times you you hear it called epiphysitis. So these are enlargements of the growth plates. And basically those joints, you'll see it in the knees, you'll see it in the ankles, you'll see it in the hocks. They're going to be large, a lot of times puffy. Those folds can be pretty uncomfortable. And again, it's one of those situations where they've maybe hit a big growth spurt and they've had inflammation in those growth plates that makes them uncomfortable. So that's another DOD that we'd be able to visibly see. Some ones that we don't necessarily see right away are things like osteochondrosis. So these are bone lesions. They occur during the maturation of cartilage into bone. So an OCD or a subchondral bone cyst would both be examples of this. What's really interesting is some of these defects actually come and go throughout the maturation of the horse. So you might take radiographs of a horse at six months old and find a lesion that spontaneously resolves by the time they're a year old. Now that doesn't always happen, but you do see some of those changes. But sometimes, you know, you won't know about an OCD until you do a pre-purchase exam. Sometimes you'll do a pre-purchase on a 15-year-old who no one ever knew had a bone lesion and it didn't ever bother them. Others cause lameness and sometimes we'll see it in the growing horse as uh, swelling and lameness in one joint. So a lot of times your fasciitis is going to be multiple joints and it's usually symmetrical. If you see swelling in a single joint, you're going to be more concerned about something like an OCD or a bone cyst rather than enlargement of the growth plates because that tends to be symmetrical. And then the final issue that falls under this big umbrella would be cervical compression, so wobblers. This is when basically you have all these nerves that run through the spinal cord of the horse and In some horses, particularly if they're growing really fast, there can be some compression and it causes neurological symptoms. So that's something that sometimes doesn't show up until they're a yearling, a two-year-old, or even a little bit later in some cases. So all of those kind of fall under that big umbrella of DOD. Not all of them are as visually apparent just to the naked eye. Well, it is, and it's such a big issue, and it always was 
I would say nebulous. It was just always hard to, to pinpoint, right? Because there's not just one simple cause. There's multiple. Oh, multiple, abs- absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about nutrition, obviously. Right, but right. unfortunately, nutrition is not the only factor. That would actually make life a lot easier. There's genetics, there's environment, there's trauma. Frankly, there's probably just a little bit of bad luck thrown in there as well. But I always talk about nutrition as your risk management. So we can go ahead and feed them a diet that's going to reduce the likelihood of them developing one of these issues. And that's what we want for both the welfare of the horse and for the likelihood of a future performance career. If we can decrease the likelihood of one of these developmental issues, that's what everyone is looking for. Now, there are horses that are fed like ridiculously bad diets that will never, ever have a DOD. And there are horses that might be fed the perfect diet down to the last milligram of every single nutrient and still develop a DOD. So unfortunately, nutrition is just part of it. But I always think if we're going to go through all of that emotional and economic investment, that the nutritional component is one that we can at least stack the deck in our favor for the development of these foals. No, absolutely. And that's perfect. It's a perfect lead in to... What are some of the things that we can do from a nutritional standpoint on limiting DODs? Now we, you know, or try to prevent them. You know, what are some of the things that we can suggest to horse owners? Yeah, so I think about this in two broad categories. One is thinking about energy. So for a long time, we thought that really fast growth was what caused DODs, but actually, it's big growth spurts. So inconsistent growth is kind of the current thinking of what really increases those risks. So you want to provide energy such that you're promoting a steady rate of growth. And we want that energy to come from low sugar and starch sources. So higher in fat, higher in fiber, low NSC. So that's one area. I see a lot of people over provide energy, but under provide those micronutrients. So these are going to be your amino acids, your trace minerals, your vitamins. There's a couple of these that are super important for the development of the growing horse, specifically some of your trace minerals like copper and zinc. So I talked about these a little bit, I think, in the mare podcast that we did last week. But there's been some super interesting research that looked at the NRC levels of copper and zinc and then feeding higher levels and what that did in terms of developmental orthopedic disorder risk. A couple interesting things came up. One, unfortunately, just feeding high levels of copper by itself didn't decrease OCDs, but it did increase that spontaneous resolution of OCDs that happens during growth. So it doesn't necessarily decrease the total number that occur, but it does seem to have something to do with the healing process. So higher levels of copper. Now copper and zinc, of course, are two nutrients that share some transporters and kind of all this complicated stuff. So you need to keep them in balance. The other interesting thing is even though high levels of copper didn't necessarily decrease OCDs, it did decrease rates of fasciitis or epiphysitis. So again, another area that we can kind of help with nutrition. So it's really three to four times higher than the NRC is what we target when we're formulating these growth feeds. The other thing to think about is the 
type of forage that you're feeding. So we have specific growth feeds developed towards alfalfa-based forages and grass-based forages because that calcium to phosphorus balance, super important in your growing horse. So your average mature gelding, as long as they're getting more calcium than phosphorus, even if the calcium is higher than kind of our traditional range, not a big deal. If we have that higher calcium to phosphorus ratio in our broodmare, in our growing horse, that can contribute towards a lot of problems. So this is a case where forage testing can be really helpful, especially if you have some mix of legumes and grass. If you're on a straight grass hay, that's pretty simple. However, you know, I consulted on a really interesting one where I tested the hay and there was just a little bit of clover, like visually looking at it. I thought, oh yeah, this is mostly grass. Shouldn't be a big deal. Well, the calcium to phosphorus ratio is 4.7 to 1. So almost five parts calcium to one wow. part phosphorus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, okay. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's out of whack. Yeah. The total diet that we're looking for is between one part calcium and one part phosphorus to two parts calcium and one part phosphorus. Things go really bad if you have more phosphorus than calcium. And then in those growing horses, it's a pretty tight range that we need to keep it between. So in terms of like practically feeding babies, now that I've kind of talked about all the deeper nutritional stuff, feeding a well-fortified feed designed to feed two babies. So in our particular line, that would be growth. My preference is towards the pellet because it is lower NSC. We do have a textured version as well, but you know there is a little bit of a balance there. You're looking between palatability of a textured feed just versus the natural increases in sugars and starch that come along with that. Particularly if you have known genetics where you know that you've produced previous foals that have had those issues, I'd definitely point you towards the growth pellet or the essential K. And actually, I should say this wholesome blends balancer uh, we could use as well. It's another ration balancer. These are designed to be paired with a grass-based forage, but if you have an easier keeper growing horse, we're going to want to use the ration balancer rather than either overfeeding a growth feed, so feeding them too many pounds to get the micronutrients because then they'll grow too fast because we've got them fat and we've just pushed their growth too fast, or we would underfeed it and not provide them all their trace nutrients. So, you know, those would be the directions we'd go. In terms of myths... You know, the biggest one is, oops, now that I have an issue, what do I do? Kind of the old school approach was take away all the grain, feed them crappy hay, you know, reduce their nutrients as much as possible because you're trying to slow down their growth. Unfortunately, that doesn't work very well for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of times they need a higher plane of micronutrients because they've outgrown their trace nutrient nutrition. So we actually increase those levels when we're trying to get them through a DOD. And number two, even if you do restrict your growth, it takes a massive restriction in order to be able to accomplish that. Well, as soon as you reintroduce that energy and protein that you've restricted, the dang things are going to catch up to their original programmed rate of growth. So you have what's called compensatory gain, where basically the body wants to catch up to where it was supposed to be growth-wise, so they grow extra fast. And of course, that's one of your risks for DODs. So I'd say those are the big ones. Um, I I still see people who want to, you know, primarily feed oats to foals. And of course, those are super high in sugar and starch, and they're not balanced from a micronutrient standpoint. 
Um, but yeah, that and just, you know, once they have an issue, taking everything away, which is absolutely not what we would want to do to support them nutritionally. Right. No, it, it is. It's such an important, especially with growing foals, you know, to, to really monitor what you're putting in their system to ensure you're supporting them, you know, and trying to, to limit these because because it really can be devastating to the animal and the, and the performance and the use of the animal and, and, you know, as a companion animal, what some final tips, what are some of the signs owners can monitor to ensure their foals are growing properly or, or staying healthy? Yeah, great question. One would just be watching body condition. So, you know, we're going to want those foals to be between a five and a six. You definitely don't want over-conditioned, really fleshy foals, because that's an indicator we're feeding too much energy. They're more likely to have those big growth spurts while that happens. You can also keep an eye on the actual appearance of their joints. So if you notice them kind of getting those puffy and boxy looking ankles or knees, that's an indicator we're having an issue or like that single one or some lameness. Other things in terms of behavior, if they're playing less or laying down a lot, those might be indicators that you're having some issues as well. So hopefully we would avoid them, but being proactive when you notice there's something wrong. So a couple of different things, you of course get your vet on board, maybe take some radiographs if you need to see if there's something going on a specific joint. And then we can also make some adjustments to your diet. So a lot of times that looks like feeding a grass type hay and a high level of essential K for some duration of time. I will also sometimes use a product called Advanced Paste. So it's a probiotic vitamin and mineral paste. So particularly if they've had like a super fast growth spurt, it's a really great way to kind of refill that nutrient cup and kind of help those trace nutrients catch back up to where their growth is. But I'd say the big thing is just keeping a close eye on those little guys. And if you notice those changes in behavior or changes in their joints, that's a good indicator that we should take a look at their nutritional program and also maybe get your vet involved to kind of make sure that there's not some deeper issue because there are some, you know, developmental orthopedic disorders that if they're caught early, they are surgical cases and you can kind of correct that. And that horse can go on to a really useful life. But if we maybe leave it too long, it can get past the point where it can be corrected. So all about being proactive in those types of situations. Great advice. Great advice. I think we'll leave it there. It's another fascinating topic and and it's really important. So if you're enjoying this podcast, you know, if you could share this with your equine enthusiast friends, again, we ask every week, thank you so much. You know, if you're following tribute on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, leave comments and just thank you for listening and stay tuned. We'll be back next week. Thanks all.